Each of my guests on Never Ever Give Up Hope has a unique story, but Kristen Beale's story is exceptionally different. A jet ski accident when she was a teenager left her paralyzed from the navel down. Even in those early moments after the accident, she did not allow the accident to destroy her positive attitude. Her determination to disprove the diagnosis was only the beginning of a new life for Kristen that will encourage you, inspire you, and help you to understand how to live life fully and laugh through the traumas. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Kristen Beale is the author of three books, Greater Things, Date Me, and A Million Sons. We're going to discuss each of those today. They're all unique and from what I have read will make you either laugh or cry or both. She is also a nine-time marathon finisher, a nationally competing wheelchair fencer. She is the creator of a weekly comic and this can be found on Instagram at Greater Things Comics. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the introduction, too. I looked at each one of your <laughs> books, and they are unique, and your humor runs through them, along with your tenacity and everything that you're going to share today. I'm so excited to have you on Never Ever Give Up Hope. So Thank let's, you. let's start with your life before the accident. Tell us, you know, what your life was like. I realize you're only a teenager, and I assume you were athletic. So walk us through your accident and how you maintained a incredible attitude. Yeah, so I've, um, I was 14 at the age of my accident. So um, I had a, even though I was only 14 years old, I had a very full, I was very athletic. Um, but backing up, since I was a kid, my family has always been very close. I have a sister that's two years older and a mom and dad. Um, and we've always had, I've always gone to youth group and I've always gone to church and I've always, you know, practiced religion, but my life was also very easy. So it's very easy to have faith, you know, love God, et cetera. I was very uh -huh. active. I was uh -huh. in three, three sports teams. I was a com competition cheerleader for, for six years. And then I was on the captain of my field of my lacrosse team. And then I was on a field hockey team. So I was very active, you know, swim team during the summers, all that uh -huh. stuff. Um, I had a lot of friends. I had a really close family. I had a relationship with God and everything was really good. And that was the foundation of, of who I was. And I was, you know, life was easy and life was great and I was happy. And aren't you glad you had that foundation? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Okay, so tell us what happened. When I was six days, I think, from turning 15 years old and like seven days from starting sophomore year of high school, I went on 
to Lake Gaston with three of my friends. One was um, the girl whose house it was. Her name was Aubrey. And I'd known her since, you know, since I was a kid in youth group. And um, and then there was a guy that I had a really big crush on that I met the weekend before at a <laughs> youth group trip to King's Dominion. And then a guy that I had never met before. I'd seen him in school, but never talked to him. So we went to Lake Gaston. And on the last day of our trip, we got on two jet skis. Um, where Mark, the guy that I recognized, was the driver of my jet ski, and Field, the guy that I crush on, was driving Aubrey. And in a combination of driver and attention and no wake zone and our jet ski breaking down, I'm not sure exactly what it was, Field and Aubrey's jet ski came right up in, hit into and on top of my and Mark's jet ski. And so Mark oh, died, fell forward and died on impact. And I was in the middle of a turn, like, what is that noise? Someone's coming. And it hit me on the left side of the head and hit me right off in the back. And it hit me right off the jet ski. So I was sitting, actually, it was a, it was, okay, so there was a boat nearby who saw us all happen and was able to call the paramedics and jump in and be with us for a second. And they said that I was actually sitting up like I was in a chair, just like bobbing in the water. I laugh, but it's not funny, but it's kind of funny. It was just bobbing uh-huh. in the water. Thank you, God. Thank you, Life Fest. Thank you, all that stuff. Um, but I was unconscious. I was airlifted to a nearby hospital, and they pronounced Mark dead on arrival. And they said, Kristen's family, she's like, she's not far behind him. She's probably going to die. She'd come here and like say your last goodbyes. So my family was told that I was going to die, that their 14 year old beautiful girl was going to die. So they, they flew to, I'm sorry, they were, they flew down, they were on vacation somewhere else. So they flew down, dealt with that. And then, so I was, I was lifted again, airlifted to MCV in Richmond, Virginia, Virginia, my hometown to a critical care hospital, acute care, because they couldn't handle me in North Carolina and Lake Aston. And then that's where I spent two months, I believe. Um, I was unconscious the whole time. And they said, they told my parents, she might live because she's lived beyond the first 24 hours. But she's when she wakes mm. up, she's not going, if she does wake up, she's not going to, she's going to be a vegetable because I had a brain injury. She's not going to be able to breathe on her own or talk or swallow or, you know, comprehend anything around her. But she might live. And so um, my parents were dealing with that also. And then so I then I became more stable and they moved me to Children's Hospital because I was 15 years old at this time. I had my birthday in the hospital. And that's where I lay in the bed a little bit more stable, but I still I still was in a coma and lay in the bed for another about a month. And then contrary to everything the doctors had told set up to that point, I woke up my first memory was Halloween in the hospital. Um, I woke up, I like started, I had short-term memory loss for a while and that started to fade and I started to remember around Halloween and then I worked as hard as I could. The doctor said, she's, I mean, I, I woke up and I was talking, I was breathing, I was swallowing, I was doing all that stuff they said. So the doctor said, oh, wait, wait, she won't be able to feel or move below her injury level ever again. Um, let's give you another, the next step. And so my parents, while I was in a coma, they were looking up things, you know, they're the greatest people in the world. They were looking up ways Aww. to prove the doctors wrong on that too. And so when I woke up from the hospital, they said, you know, do all you have to do here, learn how to be independent and be close independent and live in this hospital, live in this wheelchair. But once we get out of this, 
the hospital. We're going to California and we're going to work you out and try to get back some feeling and movement below your mid torso. Cause I couldn't feel anything below my mid torso. Like these rib bones that stick out. That's where my level, that's where my um, mm. sensation movement kind of more or less stops functionally stops. I am very quiet because I'm just in <laughs> shock. I had read your story, but I did not know the miracle that you are. And the it's miracle. an absolute miracle. Absolutely. There's no other explanation for no, it. No, there isn't. Yeah. And I have another website, which I just started, that are just stories of miracles. I'm putting you on that one as well. We'll nice. talk more about that later. That's called Universal Hope. Now, <laughs> back to your story. Your parents didn't give up. How long were you in the coma again? Let's see, from August 28th was my accident until the end of October. So about two and a half months. So you've had lots of time for to talk to your parents about what they went through. And you said they were tenacious, that they, you know, that did not give up hope. And this would have come, of course, from their, um, their faith and their beliefs as well. Mm-hmm. What, were they surprised when you finally did wake up and you were functioning? Um, yes, because the doctors for, you know, two months had told them she's not going to live. She's not going to talk. She's not going to do all this stuff. Um, and they, the fault there is that they didn't give my parents any hope. They said she's not going to, she can't, all this stuff. And instead of saying she's not going to be able to do this, but you know, if she works hard or, but, you know, I don't think they would say miracles happen, but there's like, there's ways around this. And it's very, it's a very documented thing that people with paralysis or that kind of um, diagnosis can recover from it and get stuff, get things back. But the doctors just didn't give them any hope. So, so my, my dad kept a caring bridge. So the day of my accident, People started to hear about it back from home and rumors started to circulate and people are saying, oh, your daughter's in a car accident or Kristen's dead or just rumors started to happen. So my dad, yeah, so my dad um, started a Caring Bridge journal, which he would update several times a day in the beginning and then, you know, once a day, once a week. And then when I do something like write a book or when I do something crazy, he updates it now so much so that we had laptops in my school and the um, computer, my school system had to block caring bridge from the computers from the laptops because people are checking at the school so I'm, I'm very proud of that <laughs> so he so he kept the caring bridge and so I have you know the caring bridge entries all the way from 2005 2005 when I was hurt all the way until you know when he seldom updates it now and I never went back and read it because you know I lived it and there's right just I just didn't go back and read it but then when I was writing my book, which I'll get back to, circle back to, I decided to incorporate some of Dad's Caring Bridge entries. So I went back and I read all those journal entries and it absolutely broke my heart because I'm reading. It's a weird thing because it's like I'm, I'm responsible for my mm-hmm. for these people suffering and feeling this way, but it's not my fault. But I feel this, you know, responsibility for that. But anyway, just going back and living it through my dad's eyes my dad's a beautiful writer beautiful person I'm reliving it through his eyes and seeing what they went through you know step by step is um really powerful and so I, I did include that in greater things but it um it broke my heart and it made me love him more and like it's 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 a big journey it's a and very humbling. Hard thing. I, I would think oh, it would yeah. be very humbling. One That's question I have before we go any further, and that is for the young man that was killed. How did the couple in the other jet ski 
um, deal with all of this? Interesting question. So in a very um, surprising way, surprising to me, I don't, I've never been responsible for my best friend's death and the paralysis of another girl. So I'm not really sure exactly how, I'm not sure any, even close to how that feels. So I can't fault them for anything or, you know, class my judge, judgments on right, the reactions, right. but I never talked to them again. Like they never, well, I'm not saying that, but they never really talked to me again. Um, like I would see them in the halls and they would look at me, but not see me kind of thing. <laughs> Just not like it was, it was very strange. We were 15 years old. So the maturity wasn't completely there on their part. I mean, by the time I was 15, I was mature as a 40 year old. Cause all I went through, but the maturity wasn't really quite there. And I think could have handled it better, but you could say that to every, like, however anyone handles it. So again, I don't fault anyone for anything because we were kids, but I think I might've talked to, I never talked to the girl again because she ended up moving away. Um, and I talked to the guy who was driving the other jet ski, you know, maybe one time again in my life, but, um, it was never like, we never really addressed it. It was just kind of a old friends, the old friends that we weren't really old friends, but interesting, surprising, right. but not, not hurtful. Cause I'm, I'm not dwelling on it and I don't really, I don't need an apology from them. I don't need anything from them. That's an incredible so okay. attitude. And you hear that from a lot of people who have gone through, you know, experiences like that, which is wonderful because that's also part of the healing process. If you mm -hmm. had harbored hatred or any other, you know, negative emotion towards them, I'm sure your parents and you would not have healed as quickly. But you get that. That's an eight to you because of the way you were brought up, too. So I'm glad to hear that. And as far as other people, I think a lot of times they respond like that out of guilt yeah, they mm -hmm. don't or they don't know what to say and right. it's sad but that's that. yeah. exactly and I, I hear that in what you're sharing and I'm glad I asked you that and I appreciate your your answer very much so now fast forward us a little bit you get out of the hospital uh, first of all have you did you ever recover any feeling in your lower extremities I will get to that but okay going flipping back a little bit people always ask me when you woke up like when you're laying in the hospital bed, you woke up, what did you think? Were you angry? Were you like confused? You know, most like, were you angry at God? Were you angry at yourself or the guy who hit you and all mm -hmm. that stuff? And this is where it comes back to what you just said, that it was, it's the conscious choice of, I'm not going to focus my energy on being angry at field or like being angry at the situation. Cause you know, it was an accident and I'm, time that I would spend lamenting my loss or like regretting what happened or being mad at him is time that I'm taking away from my recovery. So it was very much like Good. I woke up in an atmosphere of my family and my close friends just like saying, Kristen, this is what happened to you. This is what your new condition is. But here's what could have happened. You could have been dead. You could have not been talking all this stuff. Um, and very much like God is looking out for you. You're a miracle. You know, all this mm -hmm. positivity mm -hmm. about my situation that didn't really seem positive, but I was kind of bombarded with the positivity and the, and the faith and the, you know, reflect in the perspective on God that I didn't waste. I didn't waste any time. Um, you know, Oh, I wish I could walk, you know, that, that thought has come to my head in my life, mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. um, but it's just, I didn't never dwell on that. And so that's why I was able to, um, wake up from my coma in October and get out of there by December 13th. And, you know, be on my way on a plane to California 
a week and a half later. So it's, it's very much like a constant movement. I didn't really slow down and start to let things sink in as much in a negative way because there was no time and I have things to do and I'm trying to like, you know, get better and heal and walk and all that stuff. So that was a big, big component. I got out of the hospital December 13th. And like I said, a week and a half later, um, I was landing about two weeks later, I was landing in Cal- in California on January 1st um, for a intensive um, four hours a day, working out for four hours a day, five days a week at this place called Project Walk. And, um, and I came back and they said, remember, I don't think I said this. They said that I'm going to have no feeling and no movement from my rib bones down. And so that meant, you know, no more sports that I was so heavily involved in sports, Mm -hmm. no more, you know, walking like the ease of my life went away and no more feelings from the bottom of my feet. And just like everything, you know, took up, up the level of complication. Of course, my wheelchair that broke my heart. I skipped over that part, but it absolutely like broke my heart. The loss of sports, the loss of my outlets. Like I've been involved in sports since I was a very young child. I went to California to regain feeling and movement and sensation. And I worked out four hours a day, five days a week. And I came back and I, w- I could wiggle my toes, which was completely opposite of everything the doctor said I could was it ever going to be able to do. <laughs> and blew my mind. And that was like the beginning of... I guess that was the beginning of my whole journey. I'm being very cliche, but my beginning of my journey. So I've been back to California since then. I've been back to California at every um, school break until I got out of school. Um, and for, you know, a month, month and a half at a time, I've been to Dominican Republic to get stem cell surgery. I've been um, to a couple other places in the, in the country to work out, but California was the biggest one. And I've regained most equally as exciting um, pressure sensation in my legs and my lower body. So I can feel if something's touching me. I can feel if, you know, it, go, it goes wow. as small down to if I cut myself, I can feel the pressure around where I cut myself and I can feel pressure and um, I can wiggle my toes and my feet and my butt. And I have a little bit of spasms in my legs. And it's just every, I'm going to, not every day, but every kind of constantly getting stuff back. It's more when I was working out four hours a day, five days a week, but I'm not able to do that now. But I've just, I mean, just recently in the past year, I've started to get some of my bladder sensation back, which is, you know, I'll take that over walking right, any day exactly. and it's huge. And I, and I, and I'm, it's to the point where I'm like, why am I getting this back? Like, I feel like I don't deserve this because I'm not working out as I used to, as much as I used to, but I live a very healthy and very active lifestyle. Things are coming back to me. And so these doctors saying, you're never going to walk again. You're never going to feel exactly. again. I'm just, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> why would you say that to someone? Do you see yourself walking again? Absolutely. No doubt. No hesitation. Absolutely. Is that as hard as I'm working and as hard as science is working, we're going to get there somehow. Hearing your story, I totally agree. I mean, you are a miracle from the moment that that accident had an impact on your life. You basically walked away from could have been a death experience, which I know that you've been told. And I'm sure that looking back and especially reading the journals, you can fully comprehend that. So yes, considering how far you've come, oh my goodness, we're going to have to do another interview when you're walking again. <laughs> you and can't then, tell me no. You can't tell me can't or don't. Exactly. I'll do it, Tim. <laughs> exactly. All right. What about the marathons? Now, the I'm assuming that you, you're and the fencing. Share a little bit about that because you are back into sports. So talk to us about that. So that is fun. When I, like I said, when I first got hurt, I thought that 
sports were done. And, you know, I, my sport is the gym and working out. And I did that very hard for, um, a lot of years. Cause I didn't, I didn't really know anything ad- about adaptive sports. And then one time I was at a, um, a rehab center, working out, walking with leg braces and the parallel bars. And somebody there told me about adaptive skiing. I had never heard that, never heard of adaptive sports before. I don't know how I got away with never hearing about it, but then I, I tried. So skiing was my first sport, um, skiing on a monoski, which is like a fat, um, one fat ski with two little outriggers that I steer with. And that was kind of the beginning of my adaptive sport huh. endeavors, I guess. And so I've tried, last I counted, it was 14 um, different adaptive sports. I've tried every blasted sport except for basketball because I just have no interest in playing <laughs> wheelchair basketball. Maybe it's because it's such a well-known thing and everyone says, oh, you should play basketball. I don't know. It could be, or, or I'm also just really bad at throwing basketball. So never tried it. And so I landed on hand cycling, which is a bike with three wheels and I pedal it with my arms just going around and around. And that's what I, that's what I race marathons in. Um, so nine so far, my first marathon was New York, 2011. My favorite marathon, of course, is New York. So it was my first and it's New York marathon, but my, my favorite more, I guess, accessible, like I'm able to do it more, the Marine Corps marathon in November in Arlington. It's absolutely beautiful. It's run by, you know, the Marines and it's awesome. So I have, so I'm, I'm planning on doing that again this year. And so hand cycling has been like my return to sports. Cause I'm out, I'm able to get out into the, my, my main return to sports. I'm able to get out into the world in something that's not the people don't look at you and say, Oh, you know, poor girl, she's in a wheelchair. She can't do all this stuff. But when I'm in my hand cycle, they look at me and say, Oh, what is that cool bike she's doing? That's so cool. I wish I could do that. So it's more it's being impressed versus pity, which I don't, in the end, I don't really care what people, you know, think about me, but, but it's just, it's, it's cool to be able to go out in something and people say, Oh, that's really cool. Like, I wish I could do that instead of, Oh, she's in a wheelchair. So it's really great. And I love that. And it's it's also my ability to work really hard at something and see the results about see the results from it, as opposed to my super ambiguous body that I can, you know, stare at my toes for an hour and wiggle it, you know, wiggle wiggle my big toe one time and that's a success. But I can tangibly work toward that. Anyway, so that's hand cycling. And that has been my first and main love for a long time. And then two, three, three years ago now, um, I discovered fencing. I kind of did. I kind of fell into it. I went to a clinic to say, look at me, look at my little tiny body and big smile. I'm not a fencer. There's nothing aggressive about me, but I'm going to go to this clinic because I need it. Like, I'm going to write a story about it in my new book. I went to the clinic. I fell in love with the fact that you get to travel a lot to go to competitions and I get to hit people with swords and it's just like something that no one's ever heard of really very much. So I started fencing (laughs) and I started, um, I started competing on a national level about two years ago. And then once a year I go to the, um, Olympic and Paralympic training center in Colorado and just train with Paralympians and, you know, surrounded by Olympia, like surrounded by, you know, the volleyball team is training for the Olympics and, you know, the basketball, like, you know, surrounded by Olympians on this um, campus. And then the people that I am actually fencing are, you know, going to Tokyo next this year or like they're going to the Paralympics. And it, it's, it's really, really cool to be in that atmosphere of athleticism and everyone's just going for a goal, just following, 
following their passions. And it's really fun. I have one comment. Wow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, one of the things that when I was looking over your info and and your bio is you had on your website, you have a short video. And it's some of the things that happened when you started the dating game. I know my audience is going Mm -hmm. to love hearing about this. And we're going to take a short 30-second break. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some of the things that happened on those dates. Mm -hmm. What's coming in your future, which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. And how people can connect with you. So we will be back in 30 seconds. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another. Gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. About how you got back into the dating game after your accident and did you ever think that you would be living your life alone and I know you're not a pity party person but nonetheless what did you have to deal with in that respect and tell us about some of those experiences in dating Mm -hmm. so it's funny you ask that because I did have I'm a very like exhaustingly optimistic person but I did have the thought more than once in my mind of I'm gonna it's going to be hard to, because my wheelchair is not exactly a attractive, a, like an attractive, it's not exactly a sex symbol. So it's not like, so it's going to be harder to find guys to date mm-hmm. or find guys that are interested in me, especially at my age, because everyone's still a little immature at that time. Um, so I thought I will get a boyfriend when I can walk again. Like everything is probably mm. going to be put on hold until I can walk. I need to walk before a man is going to be interested in me. And that's just how it is because you know, I not that wasn't anything of lack of confidence, but I just knew that in order to, I want to say, take me on uh-huh. to be in a relationship with me, be it a romantic relationship and a little bit of a fr- friendship, it's kind of like extra because I'm just, you know, I got a lot of stuff going on. Um, so I was set like, all right, I'm going to learn to walk and then I get a boyfriend. That's when they're going to be attracted to me. So I worked really, really hard again, at learning to walk and working out a lot and just focusing on myself and just being single, which in hindsight was some of the best years of my life. Um, I mean, it might be, yeah, like five or six years of my life after college. Um, I was single and I was living on my own and, you know, just me and my dog, just, just being single. And it was great. And it was the years that I learned how to really love myself and accept Mm. myself and just build my confidence and kind of um, uh, develop a shield, I'll call it, for online dating because I did start online dating and you do need some kind of battle gear because it's tough. And I started, I so I got on Bumble, which is a um, swiping kind of you know app of app of the um, of the today a dating app. I went on a lot of dates and um, so I'm sorry. I published Greater Things. I quit my job a month before Greater Things was out in bookstores 
and kind of thinking, God, I hope this works because I got to get out of mortgage banking and I'm going to be an author. You know, I don't know what that looks like for money, but I'm going to do this. So published career things went really well um, for the first um, couple months. And then I started then and then put back into the dating. Um, I was going on a lot of dates. They were going really poorly, um, either whether because it's dating or because it's me or because it's the guys. I don't know. They were just not going great. The book and the book sales were starting to slow down. And I said, I got to either publish another book or I got to get another job. And God help me, I'm going to publish another book because I don't want to get another job. <laughs> so I said, what do, what do I do a lot of that I know a lot about that I can publish a book about? And the answer was go on bad first dates. So I um, kicked oh, it up wow. a level. I updated my profile picture. Yeah, this is the fun part. I updated my profile picture and I went on and I made a rule that I was never going to say no to a date. So I ended up going on because I decided that I was going to, sorry, I decided that I was going to write a book about dating in a wheelchair. Um, so I went on 32 dates in two and a half months, which looks like, <laughs> a, yeah, for real, which I would never, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Looks like lunch date, dinner date, different guys, like four dates a week, different guys. I wasn't dating for the stories, but I was getting stories out of the dates. But right. it's like my rule was I'm not going to say no to a date. And I'm just, so I'm still looking for a relationship. It would be cool if you know, mid experiment, I'll call it. I found someone that I really liked and, you know, called the whole thing off, but that didn't happen. Um, so I would go on a date just without fail, literally without fail. The guy says something rude. He's too, like, has no manners. He asked me invasive questions, just like very much disability. A lot of it was disability focused instead of Hey, we're Good actually point. on a date or like, you can't really ask me those kind of questions. Cause I'm like a lady or like, don't talk to me like that because that's gross. Um, so I would come home from these dates and I don't, I mean, I didn't bother me that I had bad dates anymore. Cause I'm like, great. The worst, the, the worse the date is, the better the story is. So I'd come home from these dates, change their names, make a six block comic out of them. You know, at the end I had a comic book and I added some more comics in there just about being in a wheelchair. Um, you know, so that's, so that's how date me was born. So that was my very fun. It didn't even end in like a boyfriend or success or anything. It just ended in like, I'm done dating. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to, 32 dates is enough. And that is turning into a TV series, if I remember correctly. You remember correctly. So we are, um, we, we filmed the first episode of the, for the pilot episode, we flew out, um, a Kristen Beale actress from, um, California from across the country and to play me the first episode, you meet me four dates, four guys. I go on seven dates, fencing rival and my dad, and um, you can go on YouTube and just search Date Me. And we're the first one that comes up, the pilot episode. And we are fundraising and working and planning on um, episode two and the rest of season one. And this so will be strictly on YouTube or? On YouTube until we get someone to pick us up. Okay. That's the whole, the whole thing is like fundraising and um, marketing and all that stuff. But we're going to, we're definitely going to try. Certainly. And I, I bet you're having just a riot. It's it's like a dream that I never even dared dream, but it's coming true, and it's it's awesome. It's so it's so cool to like be able to li relive these dates, to be able to relive these dates, but not actually have to relive them, or like to by picking the actors um, for the guys they go on dates with. It's like online dating again, but I don't actually have to go on dates with them, so it's kind of the best of all world. Yeah, it's it's so fun to not have to to be like behind the camera and not have to do it all over again. But I'm also, re I'm also like seeing, you know, these real things that happened that 
like we're kind of crummy be turned into a humorous take on it so it's fun now we want to hear the love story Oh, yeah. So it didn't come. People say, oh, did you meet Christopher off of um, all your dating or the dating apps or anything? Um, And no, I did not. I actually was at the end of my enthusiasm for online dating. I was done with Date Me was already published, um, but I was still on the dating apps because my mentality was how else do you meet? Like how do adults in the world meet other adults except for, you know, online or dating apps? Because you know, just how do you meet them? Especially if I didn't, if I wasn't going to a job. And, um, so I was dating a guy who was super not right for me. I went into church one day. Well, okay. So I, I woke up late. I usually go to the eight o'clock service. I woke up late, you know, I threw on a, um, whatever, a t-shirt and sweatpants, hair up in a bun, just like, (laughs) like super rushed. Um, when it come blowing into church, I sit in the same spot every week. Um, just cause it's, you know, a creature of habit. And I I blow into church, the later service, and I see someone in my seat. I'm calling it my seat. It wasn't even my service, but it was my seat. (laughs) And, um, and I see there's someone sitting in my seat and it's a guy. And I'm like, okay, if it's a guy and he's mildly attractive, I can see from far away, he's probably married or he's waiting on his girlfriend. Just like in my, in my view, single attractive men don't go to church alone. Um, so, which I was very wrong because I get closer to him. And I say, hi, my name is Kristen. I thought I hid from him that it was my seat, but he tells me you made, you, you told him that and you told me that in like the first minute or so. But I said, hi, my name is Kristen. You're sitting in my seat. Nice to meet you. You know, we just sat next to each other. Um, and then we, and then two weeks later, he actually joined my small group, which he says, which he claims was the only group, the only small group left, um, that fit into his schedule. I'm like, okay. Um, so he showed up at my house two weeks later. I didn't talk to him for two weeks. I went to different services cause I was out of town and uh-huh. you know, I, you know, whatever, um, went to another service and he thought that I was avoiding him, um, <laughs> that he messed up or something, but I just, so I didn't see him for two weeks. I forgot about him. I was dating this other guy <laughs> who was not right for me. You know, this guy, the guy, the guy that I met in church, which is him was, it was probably married or has a girlfriend or whatever. I didn't even think about him. But then two weeks later he shows up on my doorstep because I have a small group at my house. He uh, turns out he is not dating anyone and not married. So he asked me on a date um, the next week. And, um, and I very quickly dropped the guy I was dating because I just did. Cause he wasn't, he wasn't good for me. <laughs> and, um, and so we went on our first date the day before Easter of 2019 and the next, the, on Easter Sunday, the next day after our date, my mom comes to church with me. I'm like, this guy, I went on this guy date with this guy. We're probably going to see him at church today. Just heads up. And she says, oh, invite him to brunch. So he went on the day after our first date, he went to brunch with me and my mother. You know, it's just been perfect since then. And the exciting news. So he, and then we got engaged. I'm sorry. We got engaged a year later and we just got married last week. Aw. So I'm the happiest person in the world. No kidding. <laughs> that is just that is the perfect romance story. Are you going are you going to write a book or do anything with that story, that part of it? 
I'm working on something because a lot of people have a lot of people have asked me that, and I'm like, I don't know if anyone really cares about my story except for me and <laughs> all the listeners of your podcast. But I'm working on some ideas for that because okay. I because I have a I have a good perspective, and I'm just trying to convince myself that it's a perspective and a story that people want to hear. So it might be in the works. <laughs> so before we end the podcast, because our time is running, and I do want to talk about your books, just give us a a little snippet of each of your books the title and what it's about yes so my books um i'll say it again but they can all be found on kristenbeal.com or on amazon or borders and all that stuff um and greater things is my first book that is the weekend before my accident where we meet the guy i have a really big crush on i go to lake gaston um and then i get hit by the jet ski and then it's all of that time up until 2014 um, so about nine years. So I am doing marathons. I'm traveling the world for stem cells and working out, going back to school, et cetera. Greater Things is, I think, will always be my favorite and best book because it's so much of my heart in that. That's also where you see um, my dad's Caring Bridge entry. So you get that different perspective. Uh-huh. Um, Date Me was it's my second book. That's a comic book about dating in a wheelchair. Very light, very fun. It's um, it's kind of what I try to do with all my books is turn a seemingly bad situation into one that's entertaining and will make you laugh and will make you cry and all that stuff. But the comic book will make you laugh. What's <laughs> and, one, um, what's one story sorry. you can share from that? That's really funny. Well, funny in a, in a, Oh my gosh, kind of way, just in general, the comments of <laughs> kind of like, uh, if you worked a little harder, maybe you'd be walking or like, I mean, it's not, it's, it's not, nothing about funny. You asked for a funny story and I'm not giving you a funny story, but like, <laughs> but the kind of stuff, it's just like, it's just like, um, and date, just like inviting me on a date to a restaurant that has no elevator and is up like eight stairs. And it just, and then, I mean, it's just, it's just kind of, it's not as much like funny, but it's just like ridiculous. And okay. I can't believe that happened. Like, I, I can't it. believe they're I saying it. that to her, yes. but I don't, but my, my perspective is so like, whatever, like, all right, just keep going that it, it makes it more, it makes it more of a light situation. So anyone who's dating or has been on a date in their life can relate to, oh, it's so hard. And I can relate, probably relate to this in some way. Um, Didn't you in one of those instances ask the guy to carry you up the stairs? Yeah. So that's going to be in one of the, in episode two, too. Okay. Um, Because it was, it was actually the, the eight step one. And I, I said, will you like pop me up? Like I do a wheelie and then he just pushes my chairs, pushes my chair up the wheel kind of thing. Uh, I mean, up the stairs. Um, And he just said, nope. See ya, and you left, um, <laughs> which like is super. Because I, I mean, I'd pop up in a wheelie, and he just pushes my chair up the stairs. It's not a big deal, but um, he left. So, so that was not a moment to remember for future husband. For future husband, no, but for date me and the date me TV show, yes. So you guys tune into episode two, and you'll see that acting out. And what about the third book? <laughs> third book is called A Million Sons, and that's about. Um, finding my, getting my passions back that I lost in my accident. So that is, um, sports and, um, friends and fun and love. And so you see in there that I, um, have marathons. That's where I kind of discover wheelchair fencing. I try out a bunch of different sports, my opinion, my like reactions to them, humorous, whatever, sad, all that stuff. Um, and then, and then there's also one of the last chapters is where I meet Christopher, like the story of us meeting. So that's great. And then, um, that's all my books. And I also have 
uh, after I published Date Me, I started that weekly comic Instagram at Greater Things Comics or on my website. You can sign it up for it in your email, whichever one. So that's been that's like my ongoing project that's so much fun to make because I still have a platform and I'm just able to share my silly, funny thoughts with people. <laughs> you are inspiring to say the least and encouraging <laughs> and I'm certain that people are going to want to follow you because the, everybody needs to hear these kind of stories and to be motivated and inspired. And I know I'm, I'm just excited about what's coming in your future as well. And that's another reason to stay connected. Who wants to buy your book? Mm, okay, let's go there. <laughs> um, everyone wants to buy my book. People have asked me that. Who is your Who is your audience? I'm like, well people that are young, people that are old, people that like, you know, it's hard to, hard to say that. But, um, people that when you, if you know someone, if you know someone or you see or interact with someone with a disability, it's a great way to get a perspective on that person, um, what they need, what they like, how to treat them, how to, um, you know, just, they're just a different perspective. Um, and people that are younger, like my age, like 14, because it hits very close to home. Cause I was 14, right. but then I also grow up during the, um, during the books. So young adults and people who do sports and, um, everybody wants to read my book. And what about you? <laughs> we were going to address way back in the beginning, I had mentioned about how people respond to somebody in a wheelchair, and you were mm -hmm. going to give some tips. Anything that you can capsulize there quickly? Yeah, so the biggest thing is ask questions. If you ever don't know something or want to know or don't know how to act or treat someone who's in a wheelchair or with, I mean, with a disability, any kind of difference, ask questions. I appreciate so much when kids stare at me or, you know, people, because it gives me an opportunity to like, say hi I'm in a wheelchair mm -hmm. like I'll just explain it a little bit and when people ask questions of how can I help you or um, would you like me to open the door or um, you know do you need help getting out of your car or anything I appreciate so much when people ask me instead of you know people have come up from behind me and pushed me like strangers push me up really up yeah but it's it was funny that's happened more than twice um and it's just like what are you doing hi I'm Kristen like stop um <laughs> but just ask ask questions if you have them ask questions if you have them ask questions how you can help if you want to um just treat us like we're people sitting down because that's all we are people in wheelchairs um we're just like you except like we had something kind of tricky going on in our life and we're not like you know as much of the other some of some of some of us are but as with every um, group of people so there are some loonies but for the most part we're we're pretty just normal people sitting down well here's a response for you the next time someone says something say i'm sitting down now but i'll be walking soon no nice. yep <laughs> got it <laughs> and on that note i want to thank you Kristen, for being on never ever give up hope you definitely filled the bill net you <laughs> never ever gave up hope in the past and you're certainly not in the future and i thank you today for making my day and thank you thank you for having me this was fun thank you for listening to never ever give up hope featuring carol graham did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. 
A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.